It's been quite an eventful year for the entire world, as we are constantly keeping up with a new wave of unprecedented news every day. And we can shut off the news for moments at a time, but for the people providing that information to us, that's not usually an option. Add to that being an Armenian within the last 12 months. Our global pulse collectively felt the pain of the fall of 2020. Though it's not easy, being an informant on these events is incredibly powerful and a key factor in enacting change. That's why today, we are going behind the scenes in the newsroom with Araxia Karapetyan. I'm Krista Marina Apardian. And I'm Haig Minasian. And you're listening to Haituk Talks. The official podcast of the AYF West. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Araxia Karapetyan co-anchors Good Day LA's early newscast from 5 to 7 a.m. with Tony McEwink and Good Day LA from 7 to 10 a.m. She joined the Fox 11 team in March of 2012. But a native of Armenia, Karapetyan moved to the U.S. when she was just seven years old. A devastating earthquake, a brewing conflict with Azerbaijan, and the demise of the Soviet Union all contributed to her family's decision to leave their homeland. She grew up in Palos Verdes Estates and has a Bachelor of Arts degree in International Relations and Broadcast Journalism from Syracuse University's S.I. Newhouse School of Public Communications. Karapetyan worked as a general assignment reporter and fill-in host at COIN TV in Portland, Oregon. Prior to that, she was a reporter, anchor, and producer at KIDK TV in Idaho Falls. Karapetyan began her television career as an intern at KABC-TV in Los Angeles and KFI 640 AM radio in Burbank. Her interest in journalism sparked when she went back for a summer visit to Armenia. She decided to spend her time there not by being a tourist, but by exploring to see what everyday life was like for the majority. Well, Araxia, thank you so much for coming. Um, You are a force both in the media world and in the Armenian community, someone that many of us look up to, at least I can speak for myself, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure many other Armenians. um, And thank you so much for coming. We're so excited to to chat with you. So today, Araxia, you are an anchorwoman for KTTV Fox 11's Good Day LA. Um, What was your journalistic journey like from Syracuse University up until today? Well, I will give you the uh, cliff note version of it. Um, <laughs> I've told this story so many times that hearing myself talk about it, I get, I myself, I'm like, is this really interesting? But I have to remind myself that for those who haven't heard the story, it is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's also a journey that not many people are familiar with when it comes to getting into this business. So I often say when I graduated from Syracuse University, and this is very true, the day of my graduation, I sat there thinking, um, what am I going to do? I don't really know if I want to get into this field. Um, many of the people I went to school with were very ambitious and competitive, and they'd already interned in many places. They already had jobs lined up, and I had done none of those things. And so I wasn't really sure if this was something I wanted to pursue. Oftentimes, you know, when you're in school, what you're doing and learning is very different from reality. And what I was doing and learning just wasn't really um, inspiring me. It wasn't really, I didn't have that passion for it. So that summer after graduating, I went to Armenia. It was 2006. Um, I just wanted to go just kind of clear my head. And while I was there, I grabbed um, a camcorder that we had, um, which sounds silly now. Who has a camcorder? (laughs) Not your iPhone? (laughs) 
have, right? I didn't yeah. have that. Um, I did not have that then. I had a flip phone. I did. I had a flip phone. Mm-hmm. So yes, I grabbed the camcorder and I I started kind of, it started kind of as like a hobby almost. Um, I was going around town and talking to people and just kind of getting to know them and their stories, like the lady who sold the sunflower seeds at the park. And, you know, she told me the story of how she was still living in a domain. All these years later, she raised her children in one and selling sunflower seeds was the only income that she had. And it was just really interesting and fascinating and just a sense of the reality that sometimes when you're a tourist, I guess I was considering myself one because I hadn't lived there since I was a child. You get a false sense of what reality is when you're just off whining and dining and visiting sites. You don't know what real people are going through. So um, it was interesting for me to do this. And then I visited places like an elderly home and a school and um, psychiatric ward, which was part of the elderly home, which was odd. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, I did these like activities and um have all these tapes still. We were just talking about um, <laughs> being a hoarder. Mm-hmm. I have like mini DVC pro tapes that one day, one day I hope to look over and I don't know, maybe I'll do something with. But that experience, that really just ignited the passion that I was lacking. And I was so excited to finally feel what I was looking to feel. So I went back to, I came back home to LA and immediately I started to intern at like I went from zero internships to like three or four and I quickly put a tape together because this is what you do when you're in this business. You put a resume reel, a tape together to show, you know, what you look like on camera, how you sound and all that. I put that together and I just kind of sent it off blindly to all of these small towns because when you start in this business, you start in a small place, uh, places you've never been, have never maybe even heard of, places you never would probably go. And wherever, you know, they take an interest, you just go, um, you know, random places, South, South Dakota, North Dakota, El Paso, um, that you've heard of. But um, <laughs> Idaho Falls, Idaho Falls is where I went. And I went blindly. I packed up my car. I accepted a job. I didn't have a place to live. I had no idea what Idaho Falls was like. And I just went. Idaho? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. From California. As, as <laughs> Okay, we definitely left the city. We've come a lot of cows, a lot of fields. What is going on? Oh, so I got, I rolled into town and had to find a place to live and, you know, get acclimated um, and started off there in Idaho Falls, market 182 at the time. So the higher the number, the smaller the city. Mm-hmm. LA is number two, New York is number one. I was in 182. And yeah. then the idea is you work your way up, you work back. You know? Yeah. So, um, did that make sense? You work backwards. Yes. I guess. Yes, it did. So, were you the only Armenian in Idaho? I mean, I feel like you're the lone yes. Armenian out there. <laughs> I was. I was. And my news director um, at the time asked me if I'd consider changing my name or if I would consider changing my name, wow. to which I was very offended. Yeah. I was very angry that he even posed that question. And I said, no, I'm not changing my name. <laughs> he, he suggested, Roxy Carpy and some <laughs> other crazy things. I know. Um, I said, you don't understand. If I change my name, then I, my last name clearly indicates that I'm Armenian. Yeah. And that's something that's very important for me and my identity. And, and I had this very passionate response and I was very intense. And he's like, okay, okay, just keep it <laughs> I said, listen, people 
people will learn to say it. It's not as intimidating as it looks. I promise you they'll get it. And so they did. And let me just fast forward and tell you, when I did leave Idaho Falls two and a half years later, people knew my name very well. They pronounced it perfectly. In fact, I got an email like a month before I left and a woman had a baby and she named her Araxia. No way. Non-Armenian? Not Armenian. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. I know. So uh, there's an Araxia somewhere in Idaho Falls. And, um, you know, people didn't really know what was what Armenia was, where I was from, and it was kind of nice to, um, in a way, you know, teach people and give them this exposure they otherwise would never have had with an Armenian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made some great friends, great memories. It was a lot of work. You know, you're making like eighteen thousand dollars a year. You uh, definitely need the support of your family if you're fortunate enough to have that to sustain mm-hmm. some type of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you do everything on, you know, on the weekend I was reporting, being the photographer, shooting my own stuff, editing, writing my own stuff, producing the newscast, anchoring the newscast. So you do all of it. So it's an amazing learning experience and, and really beneficial because when you know how to, everyone else does their job, you know what it takes for them to do their job, for you to do your job, if it makes you a better, uh, well-rounded employee, I believe. So from there, I jumped to Portland, Oregon, which was like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big city. So Portland at the time was uh, ranked 50. So okay. I went from 180 to 60. So that was a really nice size jump and yeah. uh, a nice size jump. So that was great. I mean, Portland was fun. Uh, you know, great memories there. I reported only I never anchored while I was there. So most of the time I was standing outside in the rain. And that's, that's my life in a North Face jacket mm-hmm. getting trained <laughs> on. Um, but it was great. I, uh, you know, also covered some big important stories there for nine months. I was leading the newscast every single day with this little boy who's gone missing and who still is missing yeah. um, named Tyron Horman. And so I had to come up with, you know, ways to advance the story and tell the story. It was a really um, interesting and beneficial experience to just you know to own a big story like that to lead the newscast like that for so many months to find clever and creative ways to tell the story of something that was important for that community and so following two years there i um i wanted to come back home this is where you know i grew up and my family is and i was kind of torn i had some amazing opportunities in different places new york and la came down to kind of being the two that i was considering um, I made a list. I have that list somewhere. Speaking of hoarding, right? I have that yeah. list somewhere in a box of memories where it was the pros and the cons. Why go to New York? Why go to LA? Mm-hmm. And I ended up coming here because it wasn't important for me to be around my family at this point and have them actually see what it is that I was doing. I don't think they quite ever really understood until they were able to physically see. Yeah. Um, and so came back for that and a great decision that was nine years ago that I've started so um so that kind of brings me here to Fox 11 and immediately after starting here they gave me an opportunity to fill in on the anchor desk and I did that and continued to do that and then uh thankfully um it ended up landing me uh the spot on the morning show which is which is amazing Well, you mentioned two things that I think are great and very important, especially from the Armenian community that we grew up here in California is 
get out for a little bit, like uh, go to another city in the country, get out of the Armenian community, see what the rest of the country is like. So I like that. And two, I always tell people like we can't just uh, be within our community all the time. Who's going to tell our Odar American friends about Armenia? So you have to go share the good news and everything. So mm-hmm. I think that entire experience of yours probably, like you said, gave you a well-rounded, made you well-rounded and shaped your experience. Me going to school in Philly alone was an experience in itself, just living away from home and working in a different environment with different people. So it makes sense, you know. It, it, it is a great experience, although um, I don't want my kids when they grow up to leave me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure your parents felt the same way. I know my parents were like, why are you going to Philadelphia? It's okay. I know. But, but we come back, you know, we come back. Of course. Um, She'll make, you're, they'll make a pros and cons list and they'll choose yeah, to yeah, stay yeah, near yeah. you, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it's also based on your personality. I just have one of those personalities and I've always been this way where I go where the, you know, the unknown, I chase the unknown mm-hmm. and the action is what it entices me and wherever something's happening, that's where I want to be. And um, I can't just sit by and allow other people to have experiences and then me just observe. I want to be doing the things that others are taking part in and I just the the curiosity factor has just been something that's in my DNA. So yeah, it makes sense that this is what I ended up doing <laughs> in many ways. Well, uh, so you went back to Gyumri. Did you, when you went back to mm-hmm. Armenia? Did you go to Gyumri or was it just Yerevan? Or yeah. awesome, I'm also Gyumretsi, yeah, yeah. uh, which is why oh, I said it. Yeah, but my family came over like a hundred years ago, like before the genocide, like a long time ago. Oh. They're part oh, of this. Nice. So have you been? I went back to Armenia, uh, and I think what you were saying earlier about not being necessarily having the tourist experience is very important. I did birthright Armenia uh, for like a year, and I got to spend some time in Gyumri. I got to spend some time in Yerevan, and you, I don't know if you know about birthright Armenia, but you get to go and work and live with the family there and try to have a more genuine experience, and I think that's mm-hmm. so important. And Krista did AYF Youth Corps, and there you also go live in the villages and run summer camps. With and the kids there, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, to have that kind of uh, experience is it, it's more genuine, and you really do get that uh, you know valuable mm-hmm. perspective of what things are actually like out there. Um, mm-hmm. But so you uh, you when how old were you when you left Armenia? Seven. Seven years. So you were seven there. and a half. Because my family never experienced the, the '90s, the, the dark days. They say something like that. Uh, 1990 so it was just like right then where before it got really bad you know the war was beginning um communism was falling apart insane time i always commend those armenians i'm like you went through some they call it the dark days for a reason but that was a crazy time and i mean you went did you did you experience the earthquake I did yes i did i experienced earthquake and when i say literally the dark days i um you know I went to first grade in a domig and I uh, yeah, did yeah. my homework under candlelight. Um, there was only electricity for a couple of hours, you know, only running water a few hours. Uh, so I remember that. I remember that very well. I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, and then you come to California where, it, you know, we have a quake every other month and it probably just brings you back the PTSD, <laughs> man. That's <laughs> uh, so me yet here i am it's yeah. so bad and and i, I don't know if it, 2006 it wasn't probably that long let's say 10 15 years since so it's definitely armenia's improved a lot since then but gumri is still pretty rough i mean they haven't really fixed it up as much uh, as we'd like it to be fixed up after 20 30 years now 
Um, right, right. Well, it was shocking for me to be back there in 2006 to see people still living in domings in certain yeah. parts of town where you would drive by and places were still in rubble as if earthquake had just happened. So I don't know. I think that has improved more so than it was yeah. back then, obviously. I don't know. But yes, um, uh, Yerevan is definitely a different world than Gumri, but Gumri, I have a special place yeah. in my heart for it. It just it's home for me. Uh, I also spend a great deal of time in Yerevan because my mother's, both of my family, my father's and mother's side is from Gumri, but when my mother got accepted to the university, my mother's side of the family moved to Yerevan. Mm. So my grandparents were in Yerevan and I was always going back and forth. In fact, I was enrolled in first grade in both Yerevan and in Gumri. It was right around the time we were getting ready to come to America. So it was a crazy yeah. time and I was going back and forth and I was getting like horrible grades. <laughs> no one can blame you. No one can blame you. Was two thousand six? Was two thousand six the last time you went, or have you gone back since? Yes. Oh damn, no. you haven't been back since. I, I, you know, with this job, because yeah, right after that, I got to, you know, started pursuing the career. First of all, you don't really have a lot of time off. Second of all, you're kind of in the zone of like trying to move up the ladder and just super focused, and so that brought me to LA. And then when I came, I got married and then had kids and. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go actually right before my, I had my second daughter, but the doctor told me I, she recommended I didn't, but I had this huge trip planned and we were going to go in 2018 Mm -hmm. and um, I was going to go with my grandfather who was 90 and my sister who, when we moved, she was only nine months old and it was going to be very symbolic, like going back together here, you know, she was an attorney um, and she was only nine months when she left Armenia. So here we are going back with our grandfather who took us out of that country. Mm-hmm. And now we're, you know, I had this whole beautiful image and vision in my mind. And then um, I had just gotten pregnant with my second Sona and the doctor really recommended I didn't travel. And I was mm-hmm. just so upset because everyone else went and yeah. it was my idea and I stayed back. Aww. Well, hopefully you'll make up for it. Well, hopefully I'm you'll sure. be going back soon. You'll probably go in the next few years. I'm sure you want to take yeah, the kids there and see. Yeah. yeah. So, so Alexia, you and your family immigrated here to begin this new life in the States. What was that adjustment like? Is it something you remember um, clearly? You know, I, I do. I adjusted very quickly. You know, when you're young, first of all, you pick up the language quickly. Um, you acclimate at a much faster pace. Um, I... To me, and I don't, I don't have a time frame, but I feel as though within a couple of weeks, I swear I was speaking English. Like I, I it just like I don't have a memory of struggling <laughs> to learn English. It just kind of happened. Um, the first day of school, when they made me enroll in ESL, I was so upset by that, and I, my goal became I'm coming out of this ESL class. I do not want to be doing this ESL class, and so it happened quickly. And then uh, again, going back to just how your personality is, I. I wanted to be like involved in everything and a part of everything. And so I just immersed myself in all of that and adjusted pretty well. Um, And, you know, when you're younger, I I never had those moments like, oh, why am I having Zola for lunch and everyone's having pizza or whatever. I never had those types of moments because I kind of took the best of both worlds. And Mm -hmm. if I felt like having Zola, I had Zola. And if I wanted pizza or whatever, um, spaghetti dish that the cafeteria was offering that's what I ate that day and I think I've carried that through throughout my life it's um it's kind of nice you have the best of both worlds so take the best of whichever and um all you know but don't lose who you are and where you come from and I I think I 
hung on to that pretty well. Um, I will tell you though, when I think about, you know, my kids who are, they don't have that connection that I do, right, to Hayastan, I, I do kind of get worried or maybe just frustrated and uh, concerned that they're not going to have that pull that I do, but what can I do, right? So I have to just push harder and fight harder to make sure that I instill their um, their love for uh, having Armenian roots. It's, it's just a harder work. It's more challenging, but it's something that's very important for me. Well, it's part of the diaspora experience. We all go through that, but I mean, I think you're doing great by just leading through example, right? They see their mom caring about these issues and doing all these things. Uh, they'll also want to, you know, uh, continue to do that kind of stuff. You know, they'll look up to you in that way. So Certainly. And it's interesting you mentioned language because you said you were seven when you moved here, right? We had an episode with, um, okay, yeah, we had an episode with Shushan Karapetyan where we learned that uh, learning a new language is easiest up until the age of nine. And so if you if you do so before then, it's I guess it's easier. So you, it was perfect timing, Araxia. It was, it was great timing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I wish, you know, I wish my Russian, though, because I spoke Russian at the time. Mm-hmm. My uh, kindergarten teacher was Russian, and I spoke Russian in school. But when we came here, I focused on English, and, you know, Russian kind of has become very, very, very rusty. Although so many words that I use every day when I'm thinking I'm speaking Armenian are Russian anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all mixed <laughs> Well, so your parents, what did your parents do? They weren't in the journalist, journalism or anything related yes, to what yes. you were interested in, huh? Actually, my grandfather, my father's father was uh, the editor of a newspaper. Oh, and so go. he was involved in um, journalism in some way. Um, he passed away, though, when I was, I want to say like five. I remember um, him very well, though. Um, but I don't think that's where that interest comes from. Really, I, I I think it just really just goes back to um, my curiosity for people, just um, being a people person. Also, being I consider myself relatively open-minded, and certainly this job has forced me to be even more open-minded because you come across so many types of people and so many situations mm-hmm. and things you maybe otherwise wouldn't. So it forces you to um, see many sides to things, um, you know, experience many different experiences you otherwise would not. And I think it's, you know, I embrace that. I like that. I like, I want to talk to someone who I don't agree with. I want to talk to uh, someone who is passionate about something completely different from myself and learn because every day is a learning experience. Every job has its routine and some of that mundane type of thing, right? We all have that in whatever job you're in. But this job is just um, somewhere where I always feel like I'm growing and learning and also, uh, you know, trying to hone my own skills of whether it's being a better listener, conducting an interview better, writing better, reading better, um, whatever it is, there's always room to improve. And I really relish that. That's something that's, you know, in order to be the best you can be of your, your version of the best you can be for yourself, you have to always push yourself and not just get comfortable. Definitely. No, I can totally relate. No, uh, conducting this podcast is not definitely not one of my strengths but it was kind of what you're saying is doing something different and pushing myself to improve on things that I'm uh, not used to doing but I also like you're saying I really enjoy getting to talk to people who are you know are experts in something else or just getting the opportunity to talk to all these awesome Armenians Uh, it's it's one of the fun parts about this so I'm sure you experience that as well getting to talk to all these interesting people in our community here and there. 
Yeah, and that that hunger for to continue learning and for growth is something I think everyone can learn from. Um, speaking of that, the passion that you mentioned, Araxia, um, you're very vocal about Armenian causes. Um, so I'm curious if if you wanted to run an Armenian story, how does that process work? You usually pitch a story and then it goes from there. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I'll pitch a story and usually they're very open to it. I don't really have to fight for it. Um, or I just kind of do it and I'm like, oh, I just did this here. <laughs> like, well, it's <laughs> happening. Kind of so, <laughs> right. I'm just like, oh yeah, by the way, I put this story together last night. So you guys want it this morning? And they're usually like, oh, okay, sure. Um, so yeah, no, I'm very lucky to work in a place where, um, I, I don't have to, you know, it's not, it's not a struggle in that sense. Um, but it, you know, then it becomes the pressure I put on myself, right? Um, because then I feel like I need to tell this or I should tell this or this is a good opportunity to open people up to whatever's happening in this community. And it's almost like this cycle I've created where now I'm just kind of like constantly producing that. Um, and it's great because the outcome is wonderful, but it's also extra, extra on top of extra. Right. That builds up. Yeah. And that really, really started with um, the war. Like, I was doing things here and there and of course like participating in events and if I was participating in an event I was highlighting what I was participating in but but it really um, took a different turn uh, in the past several months where I started producing much more content. Well, um, I was actually going to ask that Araxia because it seems like over the past year whether it's you or other Armenian news anchors or whatever, we've been hearing more about Armenian news or Armenian-American issues in the news, and I was wondering what that catalyst was, and you're saying it was the Artsakh War. Uh, I would say I would say that's definitely, yes, um, because it was something that was happening so far away, yet it became a local story. It became a local story simply by volunteers or people doing things here in the community, so they were doing something where you could show it. Also, of course, things like, when you go out there and block a freeway, you're going to get news coverage. <laughs> right. So, um, Good so, to know. You know <laughs> Noted. The, community, the community is, you know, plays a role. You're responsible for mm-hmm. doing things where you uh, warrant coverage and you get the yeah. coverage. Yeah. Did you ever experience during that time or previously pushback from, you know, viewers or peers? It seems like the network was generally supportive. Um, yes, uh, supportive, but also um, in the beginning, kind of um, not aware of exactly what's happening and why it's happening. So this was definitely a moment where people got a history lesson, people got a lesson on uh, geopolitics, people got um, way more than they ever expected to get. And you have to remember, we're in local news. So here, the, we're not really trained or equipped to cover a story like that, right? right? We're used to like covering something that cycles through the news cycle in 24 hours and it's gone and you move on to the next thing. Or it's not a big deal if you show the video that maybe was eh, not exactly the right video, but it was okay. In this case, every word mattered, every video mattered, everything was so sensitive and um, you couldn't make these mistakes. Like these the types of mistakes are not allowed. So it was a lot of pressure on me to make sure that um, I had to put out some fires, you know, like I did, and it was hard. And I was always like nervous when we were about to run an Armenian story. I was like, oh my gosh, what are they going to show? What are, what's the wording going to be? Something that I hadn't done myself, but it was getting covered. 
So um, that was challenging and hard, but uh, let me tell you, you know, we should all be proud because you have this community here in Los Angeles who can perfectly say Artsakh and uh, mm -hmm. they do a pretty good job of saying it and, and uh, you know, just has, has a better understanding of what the Armenian community is about. It's not just on April 24th with the Armenian genocide, which is something people here in LA were used to. Right. Um, we became more than that. As a viewer as well, Araxia, I can say that it brings comfort to see coverage of it, especially when, you know, as a people, we weren't feeling heard, especially, you know, in the States. So it, it definitely brings comfort to, to see that coverage as a viewer. So it meant, I know a, it meant a lot. Yeah, definitely. No, I appreciate that. And, and you know what? I, I think that um, the other thing is that it was such a negative story that um, in order to this is this is how I approached it. I wasn't doing these stories for the Armenian community. The Armenian community already knows what's going on. They're aware of all that. I have to make the story interesting and make people care who are not Armenian. I have to make the story matter for people who uh, otherwise would just tune it out, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to find ways to tell the story and to kind of focus on the positive aspects of people in this community doing positive things and using that as a way to get into telling the other part of the story. So. It was it was it was challenging, but um, a good challenge. But yes, it was it wasn't easy in that sense. Um, but my audience was everyone else. It wasn't for the Armenian community. Yeah. Because if 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 that was just my audience, then I did a disservice. Then I wasn't really doing my job. I had to get out there and um, make others um, care and appreciate it. And it was so rewarding to have people who were not Armenian send me messages or emails or write things or share things and say, hey, like, I had no idea. Well, thank you for, you know, exposing me to this. That is the moment where you feel like all that hard work is worth it. Well, I'm sure all your coworkers and your colleagues know all this Armenian facts and history now. I know at my work, I've talked so much about Armenia that they're all uh, historians and they know everything <laughs> that they're supposed to know. Um, but I mean, did it ever feel like it was too much Armenian news or did, was it like maybe a inward feeling? You're like, am I doing too much of this or, or yes. yeah, but I feel like we got to still do it, you know? Yeah. Yes. Uh, but also, um, have to do it in a way where, um, you leave people wanting more or you're not just like cramming it down their mm -hmm. throat, you know, like yeah, balancing it out, sprinkling it here and there, especially now. I mean, um. I mean, there's so much to still talk about, obviously, yeah. Yeah. but um, that heat of the war moment has passed in that in in many ways, right? So now you um, you have a little bit more room to do it in a yeah. different way and not in, with that intensity. Well, I'm also thinking it might feel like it's a lot of Armenian news because especially for us Armenian Americans, we tend to see most of your work when it does come, uh, you know, related to Armenian issues. But, you know, I'm sure if we looked at your entire cycle of news and anchor work, you know, it's it's pretty balanced, you know. Um, but it's been a crazy year. I mean, I, I can say the news in general can be kind of disheartening because it's a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, intense stuff going on and around the world. So, but we get to take breaks as viewers, you know, we can turn off the news if we want, but you're always, I mean, you have to be always following current events and be involved and following everything that's happening. Um, uh, how, and I'll say this during the war, I had a hard time focusing on my own job. Like I felt paralyzed at times during those months of the war. 
did it affect your experience as an anchor? Like, uh, oh my gosh, everything. honestly, you said that perfectly. Paralyzed is a great way to put it. Yeah, I would say no, but paralyzed is good. Um, that was probably the hardest experience of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, because for my for 44 days, I guess, and afterwards as well, um, I was. I just had horrible anxiety. Like every, you know, every moment I woke up in the middle of the night, I was always looking at my phone like everyone else. Same. And every time I was about to look at my phone, I was like, oh God, like what am I going to see right now? Right? Like you just got this sick feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never felt well. Like I felt uh, in the first week, I lost eight pounds. Yeah. I'm wow. telling you that I really just like couldn't eat Same. at all. Like I had just, I just, it hit me so hard. Um, it was hard and, and, you know, you, I came and I started doing stories, but at the same time, that's just one story out of the five hours that I'm on TV. Right. So you're covering other stories and, um, you can't let that feeling consume you because then it impacts your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard for me to sit there and smile and laugh or talk about these like silly stories compared to what was happening. These frivolous stories. It made me just, it, that also made me feel sick. Yeah. Um, and then the pressure of like, okay, uh, how do, what do I need to do? Or uh, what story can I do? And how am I going to do this? And it's like, I had to do it on my own. And I was working around the clock. I was doing my job here and then going home and putting pieces together and doing Zooms and then put, writing the story. And then in my closet on an app, tracking my voice to send to an editor to then on FaceTime, edit the story so that it could air the next morning. Mm-hmm. Like it was insane. And, and at the same time, I'm a mom of two. And so, you know, it's like, you guys keep it down. I'll be right back. I'm like, okay, let's practice again. Uh, you know, I'm working on these important things and I have to also pay attention to my kids. And then you have the whole mom guilt thing, which is a whole different thing that like we won't go into, but the balance of that. Um, but you know, at the same time, I will say it was then when I started to really focus that I also in a way started to feel better. I started to also feel better because I felt like I had a purpose and I was doing something. I was doing what I could do. You know, some people like went out to march and protest. That was what they had to do. Some people were active on social media and bringing awareness. That was what they had to do. Some people went back to Armenia and volunteered. Everyone had a role to play, right? And so my role was to produce content and to um, to do that. Um, so that I will say was an awakening in a way, because it also brought back that passion that first, you know, I felt for becoming a journalist, which sometimes you forget. And, um, when you're doing something that really matters and is important to people and they're relying on you, you realize what a bigger role you have to play. So that was nice, but on a whole different thing, you know, on a whole same topic, but kind of in a different way. Um, just the news can be depressing. There's always like deaths and murders and shootings and accidents, fires, and it does weigh on you and it's hard. And, um, you know, anything to do with kids, like it just, it stays with me all day. It stays with me all day and for days to come. But I take, I take, I take it very hard. Um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes like I just have visions of just horrible things happening all the time. Uh, because it's what I'm surrounded in. Um, so that's not good. I'm no, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's honest. Um, it's it's an important you know aspect of of your job. How do you avoid that disaster fatigue? Do you have um, certain things you do to like try to decompress a little bit? Have a glass of wine or two. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> kidding, not kidding. But 
<laughs> no, you know, you just, um, you have to remind yourself that, you know, everything else happening in the world is not always a disaster. Yeah. True. It's not all bad. You know? It's not all bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and really just spending time with my family and kids that really just helps me kind of calm down. Uh, I go home to these like amazing kids and they're just like so innocent and they see the world in such a wonderful way. So then you kind of shut, shut off the crazy, horrible part of life and you focus on the beauty of life and the purity of life and the innocence of life really they've helped me um, really maintain that balance and have hope for humanity. Kids did. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. I identified with something you said earlier though, with uh, ha- your outlet, you know, having that purpose with your work kind of helped with that anxiety and guilt with what was going on. I completely agree. Cause we were starting this podcast around the same time the war started. So we pushed back the whole first season and did an entire series on Artsakh and it, whether it was that or going to the protests or in general, that helped with, you know, what's in my what's within my control and am I doing my 100 percent? And that yeah. at least helped with that anxiety. But the same way I was up till 3 a.m. checking Twitter and looking for updates. It was there was a well, tough four months. That's yeah. another aspect of it yeah. uh, nowadays is that with like new media, it's harder to shut it off because you don't just have to turn off the TV and then you're you're mentally yeah. checked yeah. out. It's on our phones. We get yeah. notifications. Instagram. It's all the social medias. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it harder to. Oh, I will tell you guys, since the new year, my resolution sort of is to um, not be socially engaged on weekends. So like Friday afternoon-ish, sometimes evening, I stop posting and looking, not just posting, but also just looking. I don't look until Monday morning. And at first it was kind of like, I felt like I was missing out on what's happening in the world. Like, I don't know, you know, I told a couple of my friends, I was like, if any disaster is major and happens, can you call me and just let me know? Because you feel like when you don't have that social media connection, you're missing out on everything. And that's not the case. And so some Mondays I would pick up my phone, you know, and I was like, okay, let me see what I missed out on. And I was like, Oh, okay. So it was, and it, it was also hard and it still is because sometimes you guys all do this. You pick up your phone without even thinking. It's just habit. You just click on the Instagram or Facebook icon. Like it's just a part of your, you know, you're making coffee and while it's getting made, you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to. Why? Why do we do that? Mm-hmm. Why do we do that? So sometimes when that happens on the weekend, I click it and I realize I click it and I quickly come out of it because I don't even want to go down that path. <laughs> so it's taken really a lot of discipline, but I will tell you it's mentally so um, it's just cleansing. But I feel better. I'm more present at home on the weekend and just focused on life as it's happening mm-hmm. rather than, you know, trying to keep up with what's happening. It's just a lot of work. It's exhausting. Oh, cool. Certainly. We had a few friends who did social no social media for Lent, and they were just telling me it made them feel so much better. They had to adjust, but imagine cutting it out for like a month. They they said the same thing. You felt freer and cleansed and everything. So, but speaking of social media, things have changed, especially in the the new age of media and uh, even broadcast journalism. I was curious, how has things changed in the last few years for uh, KTTV or for you in terms of, uh, you know, um, adjusting to the new social media age? What are you guys doing differently now? Social media has just become such a big part of the job. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, if I didn't have Google while I'm at work, 
on the air where I'm looking things up or even while something's happening, getting more information about it. I'm like, how would I do this job? Mm-hmm. Like seriously, you know, back in the day they would come and they would read the newspaper and that would be their prep before they got on the air. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find a single newspaper in this building. I actually went <laughs> looking for one a few weeks ago because my daughter needed it for a paper mache project. And you would think in a newsroom, there would be a single newspaper. There wasn't. Um, so the the internet has just changed everything and we're it's become part of you know now you know I'm a news personality like that's how they identify us and the engagement you have you have engagement with viewers and viewers feel like they know you and they're a part of you and you're a part of them and you know people always get a kick out of if they send me a message and during the newscast I respond they're like whoa like (laughs) how did you do that but it's just part of the job now, you know, I was telling you, I put a tape together, an actual tape that I mailed out to get a job. Now everything's online. Yeah. You send a link to uh, an employer or, or employers are following potential people they want to hire. My boss follows me. They see what I'm doing and posting. There are consequences if you, you know, mm-hmm. do crazy things. You see that play out. So social media, you know, there's, there's good, it connects you with things and people and story ideas and exposes you to everything. But there's also a great deal of responsibility that comes with it. Definitely. So for the younger people who are going into whatever field they're going into, just be aware, um, you know, whatever you're posting, it might come back to bite you. And and even if you post something and delete it, someone has there it somewhere. somewhere. Yeah. No, the, the wake up call for me was I remember at one of my old jobs, there was new people we were going to hire. And the first thing that my boss did was like, look them up on Facebook. I was like, oh my God, like that's the before LinkedIn. Not even they, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, no, the first thing they did was Facebook and stuff. I was like, oh Jesus. <laughs> my, yeah. uh, but, um, but I could tell you this, like our, maybe like our generation, like I, I don't have the news on, I'm not watching the news all the time. I feel like the younger generation though, uh, uh, we're getting our news from Twitter, from other, uh, from social, yeah, it's a mix of places, but broadcast journalists, are you interested in the millennial Gen Z target audience? Are you guys adjusting for them or is it working? Well, yes, but you know, here's the thing. Um, when it comes to TV ratings and stuff, like they really care about women, um, in the mid age because those are the women women are the ones who spend money so a lot of advertising and stuff is targeted towards that category um you know obviously when the news is happening live people can stream it and most people stream on their phone or computer also uh, you know i get a lot of stuff by just what people post so i'll post sometimes stories and if you notice on my social media most of the time it's like personal things that i post because that's what people care about and the truth is in order to accumulate followers and to kind of appeal to a wide range of people, every time I post a selfie of myself, I secretly deep down hate it. Like I do, like I don't like it. I'm like, oh, but I also know that people like it and people want that and they want to see what you're wearing and they want to see the behind the scenes stuff. And they want to see things that I would consider like, you know, silly or frivolous, but sometimes you got to give a little bit of that too in order to, maintain that audience or grow that audience um they love you know personal things but i did i do and i did and during the war and even now sometimes when i do armenia stuff i'll, I'll include that into my feed just mm-hmm. because i want to get it give it some attention sure. so i know like it will get it attention otherwise i kind of stick to 
my Insta stories have new stuff, but my actual feed, um, I kind of just kind of make it a little bit more personal. Well, like you said, you're a TV personality, so that makes sense. You got a news yeah. personality. And sharing you, I guess, is part of it for sure. But um, and, and I will tell you, there's different audiences. Facebook audience is different. Instagram audience is different. Twitter audience is different. I've, I've, I've realized there's very different audiences. What? Well, I've also, I mean, do you feel like focusing on niche subjects and like p- posting these short clips on the social media like works as well like i i the sound bites. well i was thinking like you know doing something on the armenian american community might actually have a really good trendiness or, or a shareability on social media you know instead of focusing I so. yeah i i definitely I noticed think, yeah i mean it's kind of like how we are now everything is our attention span is shorter <laughs> yeah. right we're like always on the go so these little short headlines and um, you kind of get caught up and have an understanding generally of what's going on. The problem is you don't really get that in-depth understanding of the subject yeah. matter. Everything is so surface. But, you know, I guess if you come across something that really sparks your interest, then you, you know, continue to pursue that and dig deeper. Right. So, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's hard. There's like a balance to it. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned also, um, you know, for, for people aspiring to be in the media space, to be careful what they post, really for anyone. But um, I'm yeah. curious, Alexia, if there is any other uh, piece of advice you would love to give to young Armenians or young people in general aspiring to get involved in the media space. Um, I think it's, you know, when you think of media, don't just think of whoever's on TV. Like, that's just such a small aspect of it. It takes a huge team to put together what we do. So the behind the scenes are so important and maybe even more important than on camera because behind the scenes are where decisions are made. Behind the scenes are where a lot of power lies uh, and influence lies. So, you know, whether you're an editor, a photographer, a writer, a producer, um, a booker for a show, whatever it is, the more of us out there and in the media field, the more, um, the more your voices, our voices will be heard. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's true in any field really, but it really, you know, you, I think you've got a good taste of that in the recent few months, mm-hmm. right. In the past few months, like how important that is yeah. to have representation. hundred percent. I mean, it meant, I felt seen, it was so important. It, it meant so much. And I appreciate you so much Alexia, for doing everything that you did really. It was, uh, it meant a lot. And, uh, and I really think you had an impact and influence in the city and our community. Oh, definitely. So thank you, Araxia, so much for, for chatting with us. I learned so much in the last, what, 45 minutes. I'm probably going to start taking breaks from social media on the weekends. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have some wine. <laughs> when the news gets too much. Yeah, when it gets too much. So. But Araxia, thank you so much. You also have to remind yourself that there's good in the world and there's good people. And just even you guys, you know, having this interaction, um, it's nice. It's, a, a, you know, it, you feel supported. You also feel like we're we're all trying our, our way in our mm-hmm. small way of trying to um, have our voices heard and being part of the bigger community. I think we all feel, at least I do, it's not about me. It's about something much greater and much bigger. Mm-hmm. And so that's a nice feeling. I completely agree. I look around and I see all my friends and people like you doing amazing work. And I that's what that's how I keep myself optimistic and everything. So Certainly. it's motivating. It's heartwarming. And we have a lot of work to, to continue doing. So yeah, I'm excited to see. Let's keep it going. Exactly. Thank right. you so much. Well, stay in touch, you guys. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank it you. Was, it actually helped me then. 
I had a stressful day. Anytime so you need, good. we're here. Anytime you need. Okay. <laughs> we're glad. But um, okay. have a good day, Alexia. Good luck with the week and Thank everything. You. Okay. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Haituk Talks. The official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Krista Marina Apardian. And I'm Haig Minasian. And we're just a couple of Armenians. Talking in the world. A couple of Armenians talking in the world.